All right, so good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. Thank you for leading us in worship and song again, team. Uh, just really appreciate uh, the ways that God has gifted our church in a lot of different ways, but it's just great to be able to lead, be able to be led each week in worship and song. Um, just so, so enjoy that. And it's fun for me on occasion to be able to sit there and, and to sing from, from the from the seats here. Uh, if you have been with us for a while, you know that typically I'll, I would be over here uh, leading worship and song, and so it's just a treat to be able to sit and sing with everybody else. So thank you for that. Uh, my name is Levi Brennan. I, I am one of the pastors here at Christ Redeemer Church, and um, today I have the privilege of uh, bringing the word to, uh, to us this morning and if you were with us a few weeks ago, you, um, or about three weeks ago, I, I started a new sermon series um, called The Empowered Church. And it's just a, a sermon series that will be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And especially how that affects and relates to us as, as the church. Um, so that was a few weeks ago. And, uh, and this week, we're just going to continue on with that. It's, it's just going to be when I preach that, that we'll be doing that particular series. Um, so we weave a couple of different series in all at the same time here um, with different pastors preaching. So kind of keeps you on your toes. You never know what's going to happen here Sunday morning or who's going to be preaching. Um, so anyway, we're going we're gonna to just continue that series here this morning. But before we jump in, I want to just say a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll open up our Bibles. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you that you have sent Jesus to come and to rescue us. We thank you for the amazing grace that we have been given, that we have just sung about, that we've been given in Christ to be freed up from um, lives of, of sin and lives of death and hardness of heart and rebellion against you. We've been set free from those things, God, and made alive through Jesus Christ. It's just such a powerful work of your grace, Lord, to, that is extended to us. And so with thankful hearts, we now turn to your word and want to be changed. Lord, we want you to speak to us. We want your spirit to, um, to speak freely. So please give us tender hearts, God. Please give us soft and moldable hearts. Please continue, Jesus, your good work in us and, and help us this morning. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, my wife and I, over the last 10 years, we've, we've been married for nearly 10 years now. My wife and I have, um, I think we've seen, I don't know, probably all the John Grisham stories that have been made into movies. Maybe not all of them. I can't, I don't, I guess I don't know how many there are, but quite a few. We got into John Grisham stories a while ago, and uh, have listened to him in an audiobook, and I was reminded of one of those ones that was made into a movie this week from back in 1994. It was called The Client. I don't know if anyone ever saw The Client. It's a fantastic movie. I recommend it. And I might spoil it a little bit, but it's been out since 1994. So I think, <laughs> I think we have enough time, and uh, we can start talking about movies that old. But the client is about an 11-year-old boy. It starts with an 11-year-old boy named Mark Sway. And little 11-year-old Mark Sway witnesses something both terrible and, and dangerous at the same time. He stumbles across a, a drunken mob lawyer who is running for his life and has come to realize that there's no hope left. The mob's either going to kill him or he's going to have to kill himself, one or the other. And little Mark Sway runs into him, and they have this interaction in this moment. And Mark Sway learns something from this lawyer that he, Mark Sway does not wish he even knew. He finds out that there's a body buried somewhere else in this, in this place. And he's freaked out. He's 11 years old, and this guy is telling him, and he's, and he's drunk, and he's, it's, it, it, he's, a, he's a mess. He's a total mess. And Mark Sway learns this, and eventually he gets out of, the, out of the situation, but the mob eventually learns that 
oh, this lawyer might have talked to somebody. This lawyer might have talked to this little boy. And so the story gets set in motion, and it's a thriller, and this poor little Mark Sway has now become a witness of something very dangerous, very, something that would potentially um, cost his life to know. And so being a defenseless boy, he runs where we would all run, to the attorney's office, and hires a lawyer named Regina Love, who comes and helps him all the way through the movie to the point of bringing his testimony of, uh, of what he's learned against the mob. In the book of Acts, which is where we're going to go today, what we have here is disciples who have witnessed. Jesus' disciples have witnessed something both awesome, amazing, but also very dangerous in a lot of ways. Awesome and dangerous. Jesus has come back to life. He's been raised from the dead. He has proven to them that he is alive. He ate food around them. And he explained to them that all of the Bible, the whole Old Testament that you've been reading your whole life, it's all about me. It has pointed to me from the beginning. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the Messiah. I am God incarnate. And this is fantastic news, but this is very dangerous news to have witnessed. Because for the disciples to now profess that they have seen this living Jesus, they're saying that Jesus is the Lord which is to also say that Caesar, who was the king at the time, is not the Lord. Not really. It's just a matter of time before there's going to be some opposition if you walk around witnessing, being a witness, testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Lord. It's also dangerous to say that Jesus has been raised from the dead because there's a bunch of religious leaders who have power in their little circles who just crucified Jesus, who just killed Jesus. And they want to shut the disciples up. It's a dangerous message. It's a dangerous testimony in a lot of ways. And that's what we're jumping into today. We have witnesses of Jesus who, are now, who now bear this testimony. And uh, in Acts chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 is where we'll land today and just kind of get introduced to some of this. It's not gonna, it's, we're going to kind of do a, a major section of Scripture here, so I'm not going to do a real like verse-by-verse exposition. Uh, unless we want to be here till 2 o'clock, we could do that. But, but it's going to be more of a, a little bit of a fly-through at certain points. And I just want to land on some certain things because the series really is thinking about the Holy Spirit here. We're looking for the Holy Spirit's activity in the church. We're looking for the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives as well. Specifically as it relates to us being witnesses of the grace of Jesus, as the disciples were. So, um, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going. If you're not there already, just turn there. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We have Bibles here, um, and you can just raise your hand and get a copy. And go to Acts chapter 1. All right. In the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is talking. Luke is the writer of Acts, by the way. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and now the Acts, the, go- the, the book of Acts is the uh, second half of, of Luke's writing. So he says, in the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, uh, 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So a lot packed in there, but let me just make a couple of comments here. Man, just notice in verse 6, they all come together. The disciples' big question is now the time when you you will restore the kingdom to Israel. (laughs) In other words, Jesus is now the time that we all sit under our fig trees together and we have plenty to eat together and there's no more war, there's no more sin, there's no more destruction. Is that time right now? Are, 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 we, are we ready for that? Is it, is it time to rest finally after all of this craziness? Is it time? They're not real excited about their mission at this point. They're excited for new creation. They're excited for the day in the future. They don't know exactly how it's going to work out. This idea of being missionaries is a little scarier, and they don't seem to be super pumped about it. Richard Lovelace says it this way. He says, this tendency to forget the redemptive emergency in the world and concentrate on enjoying dominion in just a part of it has been a continual temptation in the church. And we feel that all the time. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't rebuke them here. He doesn't say, shame on you. That's, what are you talking about? That's crazy talk. No, it's, he's not, nothing like that. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that we should all desire. It's a thing that we should all look forward to. This, this time when, when, when God will finally establish his kingdom in such a way that all sin, all effects of sin, all death is just totally done away with. There's nothing wrong with that desire. There's nothing wrong with, as the prophets talked about, again, sitting under your fig tree and having plenty to eat and plenty of time to spend with lots of people. Like, no brokenness. That's something to long for. That's something to look forward to. Definitely. But, Jesus says, now is not the time. He says in verse 8, look at that again. This has been called, by the way, the summary of the contents of the book of Acts. You could take 1-8 and just say, this is, this is Acts right here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's going to be a bit of a gap here, disciples. There's going to be a gap between now and that new creation you're longing for. And I want you to complete the work that I began. But you won't be alone, right? You will receive power. He said this before. He said this in Luke chapter 24. And we can put that up. Luke chapter 24, he said it this way. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, this promised Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And when Jesus starts, when Jesus expresses it in that kind of language, clothed with power from on high, he's grabbing Isaiah chapter 32. He's grabbing Isaiah chapter 32 verse 15 that talks about how the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. That whole context in Isaiah chapter 32 is about transformation. It's about new creation. Jesus is saying, it's not that that's not happening. It's happening. It's just not happening the way that you thought it would. It's going to be a slow process. And you get to be a part of this process along with the Holy Spirit. It's not just going to be a a snap of the fingers, a wave of a wand, or something like that. It's going to take a while. And I want you to be a part of this kingdom building. Transform, or, uh, New creation is here. It's just kind of under the radar right now. It's renewed lives. It's, it's people's hearts turning around. Hearts that were once dead and rebellious and wanted nothing to do with God. Being made alive. And, and God giving them new identities. So it's here. It's just going to take a while. But you're not alone in it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And they're not quite released yet to be witnesses. He does say wait, 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 wait. Because they have to prepare. They got to wait. They got to prepare. They got to get ready for the Holy Spirit. And that's just my, my first bullet point here would be simply this, that empowered witnesses prepare for the mission. Empowered witnesses prepare for the mission. We're going to look at a, a verse here in a second, but I was... Do you ever see those planes down in Bloomington, military planes fly in formation, kind of low to the ground, sometimes here in the Twin Cities? Do you ever see that? And 
they just kind of go, they do these big circles, and they do these really simple maneuvers. They, they look simple from the ground, at least. And flying in formation all over. Um, I see them every once in a while. It's fun to see. What are they doing? They're preparing, right? They're always preparing. The military is always preparing for possible war that could break out as soon as tomorrow. They're just constantly in active preparation mode. And we thank God that they are in active preparation mode. If they weren't, you know, if you just signed up, enlisted in the military for some role, had your basic boot camp or whatever, and you learn how to use your gun or whatever it is that you're going to learn how to use, and then they just send you home for the next five years and say, hey, we got your phone number. We'll call you when war breaks out. Just be ready. Be ready for that call. Don't change your number on us. That's a, that'd be horrible. Can you imagine? I don't want the guy flying the bomber to not know exactly how that thing works perfectly. I want them to be prepared. I want everything to be ready to go as quickly in just a moment. And in the same way, the disciples are seeing, like, we need to prepare. And this preparation happens how? In verse 14. If you look at verse 14, jump down a little ways. It says, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers, and his brothers. Waiting is active for them. It's, it's a preparation kind of waiting. The last time Luke talked about the disciples and prayer would have been in the garden where they just kept falling asleep on Jesus and not praying. <laughs> the last time these two have come together, disciples and prayer, it was sleeping, failure, they wake up in the middle of the night, right? They see the, the, the soldiers. They see what's going on. They, they sense danger, and they run. They hightail it out of there. They were sleeping. They weren't praying. Here, they're awake. Not just physically. They're awake. There's a spiritual awakeness to them now, and they are on their knees. They're praying. They know that the Spirit is coming. They don't know what it looks like. They have no idea exactly how it's going to look. They just know that the Spirit is coming. So what are they doing they're praying. They've come to understand that without this activity, without this preparation, they will actually fail very much, and they've experienced it. And mixed in with their prayer is some scripture, because we can look, if we, if we kept reading the end of chapter 1 there, you can tell they're reflecting on some scripture. It's, 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 uh, they're, they're, they're realizing, hey, we're one short. We have 11. We don't have 12 anymore. Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed all of us, really. And, and he's no longer a part of our company. Um, and they're reflecting on Scripture, and they're reflecting especially on the Psalms. And Peter says, hey, we need to pick a 12th person. So you just get this, this sense that it, this, it, there's prayer, there's Scripture, there's reflection, there's obedience. And, and, and so it's active. There's an active waiting here. It's not, let's go take a nap until the Spirit falls. It's, let's get ready for this. Let's get ready. <clears throat> and I don't know— the, the reason, you know, the, the idea that there had to be 12 can seem sort of odd. Why not 11? 11's fine, right? 11's pretty good. How much different is 12 than 11, honestly, at this point? And, and they, but they know that symbolically 12 disciples connects Jesus to all of Israel's history. All these promises, where, especially where he promised to bring the 12 tribes back together and constitute a new Israel around Jesus, around the Messiah, and then send them out in the power of the Spirit to all the Gentiles, to all the land. And so 12 was significant. It got them all the way back to—it would get you all the way back to Genesis 12, where God promises to bless the whole world through Abraham. So they're, they're just reflecting. They're just being obedient. They're being watchful. They're praying. And this is not the only time that we see this in Acts. They actually do this several different times. If you— uh, I mean, there's some, it's, you know, Acts 2 is a little bit unique in how the Spirit falls, but it's not entirely, not in every single way. If you go to Acts chapter 4, I think I have this one up here, Ron. Acts chapter 4, if I don't, you can turn over there. Verse 29, here's an example of this happening again where this prayer connected to the Spirit 
Chapter 4, verse 29, this is the disciples praying, and they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. These are, look upon the threats of those people who are trying to basically shut them up. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So you got prayer. You got the Spirit showing up, empowering them to continue to proclaim the word of God with boldness. So clearly there's some fear there, but God gives them some boldness to push through that. Acts chapter 13 would be another example of that, and you don't have to turn there, but it's just this idea the apostles are they're praying and they're fasting, and they're trying to think. And, and in, the, in the praying and the fasting, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, send Barnabas and send Saul on this missionary journey. And so they do, and what happens? Many, many people come to put their faith in Jesus. Churches get planted. Here again, you just have this prayer Fasting, Holy Spirit showing up, giving direction. Acts 10 would be another example. I won't read that whole thing, but there's another, just a great story of an interchange of prayer, Holy Spirit, people, orchestrate God orchestrating this connection between Cornelius and Peter and the gospel. So it's just all over in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit showing up when God's people pray, giving them direction, giving them, giving them a sense of, uh, of mission and, and what to do. It's everywhere. So prayer is an essential preparation for the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just say that preparation also involves repentance. It's not really here in Acts chapter 1, but it does involve repentance, and it does involve some level of of brokenness, too. Preparation is part repentance and, and just brokenness. The disciples just came off like major failure, major failure, in the garden, betraying Jesus. Couldn't stand with him, couldn't pray with him. Peter had just gotten up, kind of representing them all, but maybe more himself, I guess, to some degree. Just gotten up and said, Jesus, I will never deny you. Even if all these other people fall away, I will never fall away. I will die for you. And then hours later, just a few hours later, he denies him, not just once, but three times, denying Jesus. So the disciples have come off a pretty major failure. They've come to recognize, like, man, there's a ton of self-dependence in us. Peter, Peter demonstrates it. A lot, of, a lot of prideful kind of self-dependence, overestimating how strong you think you really are. And so when they're out in the boat, you remember in the book of John, the end of John, they're out in the boat fishing, and Jesus shows up at the shore, and they see, they see Jesus, and they start rowing back to the shore, and Peter... Remember what Peter does? Jumps out of the boat. Like, I can't wait until we row there. I gotta jump out of the boat. I gotta, I gotta go get to Jesus, like, right now. That is a broken man. That is a humble man. I don't care if I'm gonna get wet. I don't care what I look like. I, got, I gotta go be with Jesus, like, right now. And he does it. It's just this beautiful picture, a pure picture of repentance. If you don't know what repentance looks like, it's jumping out of the boat and getting wet. It's, I don't care. I don't care how this looks to anybody. I want to go be with Jesus, like, right now. And so so Peter does that, and he's restored, and all the apostles are restored. This sort of process of brokenness, this, this humbling process, is part of the preparation for the disciples. I would say it's part of our preparation, too, for the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that leads us to pray. I mean, humble brokenness, humble broken people pray. That they just do. That's part of what happens. So, the uh, obvious question is, for us really is, are we actively preparing for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we actively working, uh, actively preparing ourselves for the Spirit to work, both personally just in our lives, but also as a whole church. Like, are we together preparing right now actively for the Holy Spirit to bring new believers into Christ Redeemer Church or to bring new believers into your life? 
Like, are you getting ready for that? Or not? The, the book of Acts is full of growth. Growth is a huge theme. There's 3,000 added right off the bat. Then more are added daily. And then these missionary journeys happen. And more and more are added all the time. The kingdom of God is, a to- is completely advancing. Like, it's an advancing kingdom. It's not just like a, a maintaining, sustaining kingdom. It's moving forward. It's expanding out. Growth, numerical growth, is just part of what the kingdom is about. It just keeps on growing. And so I would think, we don't have divine access to every detail of God's plan, but I would think that we would see some of that. We would get to be a part of that. I know I want to be a part of that. I want to see God's kingdom advance here and grow in in our church. Just in my own life, I just want to like experience that and be a part of that. And I think, man, when I read my Bible, I I think God wants that too. We might have to occasionally ask ourselves if we do want it. It's not a bad question to say, do I, do I want the complications that growing and discipling new believers, bringing new people into the kingdom, do I want that, <laughs> do I want that complication in my life? Because it could just very well be that we don't. We don't. And so we basically don't want to get any bigger. We don't want to grow. We don't really want to see new people come into the kingdom. I'm not saying that entirely, but I think our hearts can be sort of divided there a little bit. You know, we can have some stuff that's, that's not, not really right there. But I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Christ Redeemer Church, and, and uh, I was thinking, just so imagine with me here for a second. What if we all saw, here in this room, just three people Three people that we're praying for that, don't, that, that are, don't have any faith in Jesus. Three people that are r- relatively close regionally. So like neighbors or a co-worker, some family members or somebody somewhat close. Three people we've been praying for. We want to see um, come to put their faith in Jesus. And then God just decides, I'm going to make that happen in four weeks. Every single one of you, three people are going to come to, 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 to know Jesus, and then they're going to start showing up here at Christ Redeemer Church. So we're, like, in four weeks, we're over 500 people. What would we do with that? I mean, I think we'd panic a little bit. I think initially there'd be sort of this, uh, okay, we need, we'd start thinking logistics, right? Like, we need chairs. We need to think about parking. We need, we got so many more kids now, and we thought we couldn't handle any more way back in the day. And so we have all this stuff. We would think logistics. We would think, what's going on here? How do we handle all of this stuff? Our infrastructure here, we're not ready for this kind of growth. But I just wonder where prayer fits into that scenario. I wonder where, I wonder if we have even prioritized prayer enough to handle significant growth. Because the more people that are in your life, the more, the more busy you get, the more logistical things there are to think about. I know this, like, from personal experience right now. We just had a baby about nine weeks ago. One, one, one little baby in our home. And our lives are way busier. And we just, me and Ashley had to talk a couple weeks ago, like, where does she get a chance to just go be with Jesus for a few minutes, say a prayer, uh, (laughs) spend a little bit of time in the Word, we had to kind of come up with a new plan and new, idea, new ideas. That's, that's one. And, and you're busy. You have work that's busy. You have families that are busy. You have your own plans that are busy. We're just a, we're just a busy people. So if prayer is hard to prioritize now, as a relatively medium, or just an average-sized local church here, it's not going to get easier if we got, if, if, as we grow, as we see new people come into the kingdom here. It's just not going to get easier. So now is the time, really, it really is the time to prioritize prayer, to seek God, to make it the, the center of what we do. Everything starts right there. We want to establish this. And that's one of the reasons we have this thing called Kingdom Prayer Night. It's called Kingdom Prayer Night for a reason. It's not called personal prayer request night necessarily. But we, I mean, we'll pray for personal requests, nothing against that. But the idea is expansive kingdom kind of 
prayers. So we're praying for boldness. We're praying for humility. We're praying for greater hearts of love for each other and for the lost. We're praying, we're praying that God would just fill us with his spirit. He would accomplish in us what he wants to accomplish in us, in our neighborhoods, in our town, in our city, wherever it might be. It's, it's kingdom advancing kind of prayer. And that's just, we're just trying to grow in this. So I would just encourage you again, come on out to that. Prioritize it for yourself if you can. I know there's a little, you know, we have our schedules and stuff and it doesn't always work, but, but try to if you can. Life groups and DNA and Wednesday morning prayer, these are different times where it's just like we're just trying to infuse in our church family this priority of prayer, knowing this is the critical preparation work for the Holy Spirit to come and to, and to do what he wants to do here. So maybe a better question if we grew suddenly, you know, and God said, yes, I'm going to grant you your desires here to see these three people come to, come to put their faith in Jesus. Maybe a better question is just, is our personal and corporate prayer life so vibrant that we could handle that? Is it so vibrant that, yeah, we can handle that. Logistics, we'll figure that out. God will help us figure that out. We'll figure out parking. We'll figure out this, that, and the next thing. Come secondary, basically. It's important. You still got to do it. It's not, not not important. But it's nothing compared to just centralizing prayer and preparing ourselves in that way. So it's our fundamental preparation activity. Let's do that. Let's just be diligent to keep on growing in prayer, to centralizing it, to making it fundamental to what we do as missionaries. Let's seek the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and to help us and to direct us and to speak to us through his word. Speak to us in, in, a, in a variety of ways, really, but, but, but it happens in prayer. It starts in prayer. So, empowered witnesses prepare for the mission by praying. Point number two, empowered witnesses are Weird. Empowered witnesses are maybe strange. Maybe you don't like the word weird, but empowered witnesses are strange in some way. I don't know if you've ever seen that bumper sticker, Keep Portland Weird. Is anybody from Portland? They, someone's from Portland could explain that. Evidently, Portland, there's a whole website about keepportlandweird.com and uh, explains, I guess, in more detail what that means. But evidently, Portland... As someone describes the city of Portland, they prefer that one adjective you would use is weird. And I think the church could possibly learn something from that, because we are kind of a timid bunch and we're, we're a fearful bunch a little bit. And I think our weirdness, our strangeness, is something we just have to not only get over, but actually sort of embrace in some ways. I mean, you think about it, praying in public is a strange thing to do. It just is. Having someone over your house, especially if they're not... Uh, you know, they're not uh, Christians or, or at least practicing or whatever. Um, have, at, have them at your table for dinner and to pray before you eat. That's just a weird thing to do. It's weird to stand in a gym or anywhere really with people that you don't know really well necessarily and sing. It's just strange to stand and sing. Where else do we do that? Nowhere. And maybe that's why we have lasers and fog and different things like that in, in a lot of churches. Let's, this isn't so weird. No, this is, kind of, this, is, this is great. This is a great experience, you know. I don't, maybe that's one reason. There might be other reasons. But maybe it's the weirdness of standing and singing with other people that we just don't want to accept. But here's the thing. We are strange. We're just, we're just a, a strange bunch. The Bible describes us as aliens, as sojourners, as, as people who have a different king, who are part of a different kingdom. There's nothing not weird about that. Nothing. It's just strange, and it will lead to some strange activity. I hope the strange activity is like radical acts of love, seeking peoples in relationship. I hope the strange activity is stuff that, yeah, it's a little weird, but you know what? It's not so bad. And I'm not about becoming more weird than we already are. I, you could try. I mean, I suppose you could do that if you want. But we already are strange. We already are a strange bunch. Let's embrace that. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's, God has done that. And so empowered witnesses are strange. And here's where I'm getting that. It's just in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. 
We'll read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house that, where they were sitting, and it divided, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's our strange bit. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit falls, and they are suddenly able to speak in languages that they never studied and shouldn't really know. Spirit falls, and they go out there, and they, and they speak it. And some people are, are amazed by it, and they see God in that. Other people are like, these dudes are drunk. They've had too much. I know it's 9 in the morning, but they're already drunk. This is the, and, they're, and they mock them. And people will respond differently when the Spirit falls. And, we, and when we go out in the power of the Spirit. So, but back up a little bit. When verse 1 there, chapter 2, verse 1, it's Pentecost, right? It's Pentecost. It's a, it's a huge celebration in Jerusalem. All these people from all these different nations come together, different cultures, different languages. They're all here. The streets are flooded. Lots and lots and lots of people. Something like the 4th of July or something like that around, around our towns. Just really, really busy. And it's fitting that this is the moment that the Holy Spirit would fall. At Pentecost. Because Pentecost was a celebration of when Israel received the law at Mount Sinai, way back in the book of Exodus. And so the idea was that what they're remembering is when Moses went up the mountain, received the law, and then brought it back down to the people. And what's just happened here? Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, has gone up, back up to the Father... And now the Holy Spirit is coming down to write that law on our hearts. A new and better covenant is now here. And that is the time, and that timing is not accidental. It's absolutely specific. There's other connections there. There was fire on Mount Sinai. There's fire here, right? There's fire here at Pentecost. There was wind at Mount Sinai when all of this would happen. There's a wind here. There was a voice that spoke at Mount Sinai. And here we have many voices speaking, but it's really the Holy Spirit speaking through them about all the great things of God. New covenant. New th- a new and better covenant is here, and the Spirit has come in power. And at this point, with these verses, man, a lot of different uh, conversations happen regarding like the supernatural ability to speak in tongues or to expect 3,000 people to to get saved in one sermon. And, and, like, the conversation can sort of turn into this, does this really happen today? How does this all work? Or should we expect tongues in this sense? And I was reading some commentaries this, this week about this, and they all kind of devote a significant time, most of them, significant time to saying, you know what, don't get too excited. Tongues is, like, that was a special outpouring. And you just sort of feel deflated after a while because it's like, is that the direction that this is supposed to take us? When we read this, is that what we're supposed to be thinking right away? Is like, ah, oh, this isn't for today. It's not for today. Don't expect these kinds of things. I would say no, it's, it's not. Maybe part of that is just our fear, uh, like the nervousness we get when we think about the Holy Spirit. Like, ah, huh, I don't know what to think. He doesn't do that anymore. He just doesn't do that anymore. And I, I'm not, I, we'll talk about tongues in a different sermon because I just want us to take this in. The Spirit fell in power. It fell in great power. It's described as fire and wind in that room. Fire and wind are unstoppable, uncontainable, powerful forces. That's the feel. That's the thrust of this passage is that there was immense power that fell on them, that enabled them to witness of, of, of all of the glories, all the excellencies of God the glories of Christ, the gospel itself. There's a big difference. Here's the difference. When we can look at this text and we can kind of like distance ourselves from it so much to the point where it's just an intellectual exercise of thinking through this. But, I, but there's a big difference between looking at the effects of the wind from a building, looking out the window and seeing the wind. There's a big difference between that and stepping into the wind, into the storm. There's a huge difference there. It's a big difference between seeing a fire 
in the distance and then coming and warming yourself by it. And I think, I think the book of Acts is inviting us to say, come and feel this. Come and just reflect on this. The Spirit didn't sneak in quietly. It came, it fell in power. Feel the wind. Feel the fire. Think about that power. Think about that. That lives in us now. That has, been, that has fallen on the church. It's not a different spirit now. It's the same powerful spirit there as it is right here for us this morning. <clears throat> a number of years ago, we were uh, vacationing in South Carolina um, with Ashley's side of the family, so my in-laws. And we were down in South Carolina, staying at a beach house. Down there, not right on the beach, but just a little bit off of it. And um, storms had been rolling in consistently that week. Just for a little while, and then it would clear up again. And during one of the days, the storm, a, a storm had come in, was coming in. And um, I went, I walked down below the house. You know, the houses there are built on stilts and big posts, so they're up off the ground. Right? There's no basement, necessarily. It's... It's all open, in case flooding, I suppose. It's where you park your car. And so anyway, I'm hanging out down here underneath the house. It's whatever, 12 feet up. And I'm perfecting my golf game down there. I was just kind of, I had a golf club. And I'm just swinging a golf club as the rain is falling. And it's very peaceful and nice. And there's some lightning off in the distance. And it's, it's just there by myself. And, uh, but thunder was rolling in, lightning was rolling in. And I know maybe holding a golf club is not the best idea anytime it's storming. But I'm under a house. I'm thinking I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'm under this massive house. So I'm down there. And about 100 feet away, there's a transformer box. Those green boxes you see along the street in the yards. And there's this, about 100 feet away, this transformer box. And I'm just, like I said, I'm perfecting my game. And I'm coming with the most perfect follow-through. And... And kind of behind me, off to the side, lightning struck that transformer box. And just like this ear shatter, eardrum shattering, this piercing, cracking, rumbling, shaking sound just exploded. And I kid you not, my golf club lit up like just bright white. Bright white. I'm holding this thing. And I fall. Like, it just, like as if someone shoved me. I just fall to the ground. And your, ra- <laughs> your mind is racing in that moment, and it, it works really fast. And I'm like, okay, I'm not dead, but everyone else probably is. And so I run upstairs. I, I run up the stairs. Heart is racing. I've got these wild eyes. And, and it's uh, really calm inside. Actually, it killed the power in the house, and they're all very calmly just sitting there. And I come flying up. Is everybody okay? And, and, and they look at me, and... We're fine. Are you okay? (laughs) And I just sat down and I was like collecting my thoughts. And the difference between how that lightning affected me and how that lightning affected them was very significant, very calm, very removed. And my heart is just absolutely racing. I'm trying to figure out what in the world just happened. How did my golf club light up? I don't get that. How did I fall over? Nobody was down there. Does that qualify as getting struck by lightning? I don't know, but I'm going to say it does. But that difference between their experience and my experience, I just think sometimes when we think about the power of the Spirit, um, how different our experiences can be. And when I read the book of Acts, I just, I, I just wonder, man, where... What's going on? The Spirit's the same. Is, is the power the same? I would think the power is the same. He doesn't have to do things exactly the same way he's done in the past. I'm not saying that. But, but where is that, that power? I was reading in just my daily reading. I was in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, my speech and my... Uh, talks to the Corinthians saying, my speech and my message were not with plausible words, but they were a demonstration of the spirit of power. And I just wrote in my margins, where is it? Where is that power? I just want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I don't want, I don't want it to be something that's just removed. I just read about it, but I never actually experience it. 
So do you ever feel the Spirit in any way? How often do you feel the Spirit moving you? How often do you feel the Spirit speaking to you? When we sing songs, you know, the Spirit wants to always bring attention to Jesus. And so when we sing songs about Jesus, the Spirit is saying, sing this song, even if it's not your favorite. Sing this song. This is, this is about Jesus. Do you feel the Spirit in those moments? In fellowship or in prayer or anything like that. N.T. Wright talks about, in his very small commentary on the book of Acts, he just says this, part of the challenge of this passage concerning tongues is the question, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make onlookers pass any comment at all? Has anything happened which might make people think that we were drunk? If not, is it because the Spirit is simply at work in other ways? It's possible. Or because we have so successfully quenched the Spirit that there is actually nothing happening at all? And I appreciate the openness of that question. It just says, man, God can do anything He wants. He can do things any way that He wants to do. I'm not trying to box Him in here. But it's also quite possible that we just simply quench the Spirit. We ignore Him. Maybe put Him in a box in some way. And consequently, we just don't see Him. We don't feel Him working very much. And I just wonder, man, I just wonder if part of the reason of that, for this is, I think, maybe it's, it, it's some prayerlessness to some degree, for sure. But I wonder if part of it also is just that we, we don't want to be strange. We don't want to ever put ourselves in a situation that we're out of our element. We're insecure in some way. We want to stay within our comforts and we just, we assume that the Spirit will only ever operate from where I feel comfortable. I don't think Paul felt comfortable most of the times when the Spirit showed up in power. He didn't ever seem to be all that comfortable in those moments. In fact, he was threatened often. And I wonder how much we just live in fear of being made fun of, of ruining something, of not doing something right, and kind of let fear drive our decisions. I appreciated Brett's sermon, I think it was last week, just talking about fear, talking about how when Nehemiah is building the wall. And again, this issue of fear comes up. Be concerned for your life, Nehemiah. Be concerned for your reputation. Be concerned that you might lose some friends if you really do step out and testify of the grace of Jesus. Be concerned about these things. Be afraid of all of this stuff. This is, this is a natural feeling for us. This is also something that the enemy would very much like us to live in, is just, we just live in fear. Timid, timid people. And maybe if we stepped out and just trusted that the Spirit will show up, and if we're prayerful, we might actually see the Spirit powerfully work in ways that we haven't experienced, or maybe we haven't experienced in a long time. Maybe it's, it's just been many, many years before we've ever been able to say, man, I think the Spirit really led me to do this, and I did it. And He showed up, and it was amazing, and God was glorified. But I think that can be a more of a commonplace sort of event if we're willing to step into our fear, to, 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 be, um, to be courageous enough, not in ourselves, our ability, or skills, but just courageous enough to know that the Spirit is with me, and He's powerful. He He's fire and wind. He can't be stopped. So I don't know, I don't know about you today exactly where you're at with that, but I think for the most part, as I've gone through this, I feel like, man, I think we all, let's, let's, let's prepare by praying. Let's prepare for the work of the Spirit by praying for the Spirit to work. And everything that comes with that, repentance, confession of sin, just, just all of that. Let's pray, 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 pray. Prepare for the work of the Spirit. And then let's just step out, out of our fear, into weird zones, into weirdness that we just feel uncomfortable. But you know what? God's going to show up and see what happens there. Because I do trust that the Spirit will empower us as we, as we do that. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, um, we are um, we just pray that you would forgive us, Lord. We are busy people who maybe in some ways don't expect you to to work powerfully in our lives anymore or do anything in our church beyond what we can just manage by ourselves. Forgive us where those kinds of thoughts really are um, deep-seated inside of us and cause us to doubt you, Lord, or, or just not walk in faith. Help us, Lord, to turn from that, Lord, to, to be stirred up, to be reminded, God, to be strengthened in our faith and our resolve, to just trust you, Lord, to just trust that your spirit is powerful, it's alive, you are well, you're leading, you're working. Help us to move into that, God. Help us to pray. Help us to be prepared. Help us, Lord, to be ready to move in your name, to proclaim the gospel, God, to live out the gospel, to love people well, to extend ourselves to people, even if it makes us uncomfortable, Lord. Help us to trust you, that you might be glorified, God. And that's ultimately it, that you would be glorified, that lives would be changed, that we would see people come into the kingdom of God who are not a part of the kingdom of God right now and come through repentance into your kingdom, into, into um, glorious new life, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted and that you would be worshipped and we would be made very happy in that process. So please do that, Lord, in us. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit that is in us right here and now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.